Welcome to the PK Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Eddy, and I'm joined with my siblings, Sarah Eddy and Margaret Eddy. Yep. Hi. We're here to discuss issues that are relevant to pastors' kids, from the local church to the international church to cultural issues and anything that affects the church. Well, I think probably you'd better start by explaining what PK stands for, because not everybody knows that. Ah, uh, yes. PK stands for pastor's kids. <laughs> kind of a secret code among us. Yep. Now, you had a book for us to talk about? Yeah. Recently, we just watched a movie called The Giver, which is based on a book by Lois Lowry. Also called The Giver. Also called The Giver, yes. Actually, the first of four books. And... It's a book that I really enjoyed. It's actually about 20 years old. The movie, of course, just came out this year. But the book deals with a dystopian universe where actually one of the interesting things I I read about the book or the movie before watching it was Lois Lowry, the author, said she had planned to write about a utopia Mm -hmm. but ended up realizing that it was actually a dystopia. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. So... The basic story concept, and I'll try not to give away too many spoilers here, is there's a boy named Jonas set in a world where everything is perfect. There's no wars, there's no diseases, none of the things that really make this world horrible exist. No competition, no poverty, Uh, Mm -hmm. everybody has their place in the economy, so there's really no... No slavery or those kinds of horrible things. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just everybody has their job. They do their job. They live their life. And then they go to elsewhere Elsewhere, is what it's called. Yeah. So Jonas starts by just, he's a, I think, well, he's 18 in the movie, but 12 in the book, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyways, but he starts... Just as a normal kid, but the the book starts with the what's it called? Where the basically the choosing where they they select assigning each, jobs assigning jobs yeah. yeah they select each kid gets a a job and so he's worried about what job he's going to get because he doesn't really know what to expect and it turns out he's given the job of being the new receiver, which is where in the community they've set it up. The receiver of memory. Right, the receiver of memory. It's actually essentially a post-apocalyptic community, sort of, Mm -hmm. that's now several generations past whatever happened. He's given this position where he has to take the memories of the past that no one else knows or remembers from the previous receiver of memory who's becomes the giver and he has to bear those and use them to advise the elders who are the ruling sect of the community so that they don't have the things that led up to the apocalypse or the terrible things that had happened beforehand and, and it's so that, so that the rest of the community can be happy and not have to worry about remembering pain and they war can and things like learn that. from history right. but won't have to remember it themselves yeah, and it even goes beyond pain and war, too. They've eliminated 
bad weather conditions that led to mm -hmm. starvation. They've eliminated hills. The whole land is flat. So all sorts of things. It's it's mm -hmm. a very different world. Right. Than we but the problem know. is they eliminated a lot of good things, good things with the bad well. things. And that's what he learns <laughs> when he becomes receiver is he starts to experience these memories. And what he learns is the things that they hadn't had, things like music and reading and love, all of these great emotions and color is mm -hmm. very powerfully portrayed in the movie as not being existent that then he learns through these memories and he comes to realize that those things are necessary and he comes to a point in the movie which i think is a really powerful moment where he basically says if we don't have these things what is there mm -hmm. why are we living we're just pointless meaningless mm -hmm. and we won't tell them how it ends we won't tell them how it ends okay. now <laughs> so that they can enjoy watching the movie. But there's themselves. a really cute and baby in the, in the movie. That's true. Essentially, the, the story culminates, without too many spoilers, the story culminates in the fact that one of the dark secrets of the community that you don't really realize is the release to elsewhere, which has to happen periodically, either as a punishment or when people get old enough that they're just a burden on the community, they get released to elsewhere. What mm -hmm. you learn is that that's actually a euphemism for... Euthanasia. Euth yes, it's a euphemism for euthanasia. And so Jonas learns that they're going to kill his adopted brother, whom his father, who's a caretaker for the infants, has brought in because he's not able to survive. And so he tries to save the baby, and that's... That's the culminating point in the movie that mm -hmm. then will leave you to figure out what happens mm -hmm. after that. But as far as themes of the movie, what I liked was their very, very strong pro-life stance. Yes. The, especially very, the movie yeah. was even stronger, in my opinion, than the book. Because basically what Jonas says is you haven't even eliminated war and suffering and pain and killing. You've just given it a different name. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really strong point. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what the book has is the book has more of the older people side as well as the babies. Right. So the movie really takes on, you know, abortion and whatever, that sorts of stuff. And that mm -hmm. the book does both that and there's a lot of the older people who are being released to elsewhere, as they call it. Mm -hmm. So it has both sides of those that spectrum. Yeah, and not only, and the other theme that I really like, aside from their pro-life stance, was their stance on love, where essentially Jonas doesn't know anything about love. It's just an antiquated term that nobody uses before he becomes the receiver of memory. When he mm -hmm. becomes the receiver of memory, he learns all these things about love and what love really means, but when he asks his family, do you love me? The father says, well, Jonas, if we mean, do we enjoy being around you? The answer would be yes. And do we take pride in your accomplishments? Of course, yes. But the implicit point in that statement is those things aren't love. You can not love someone and still take pride in their accomplishments. Mm -hmm. But love is so much deeper and more meaningful than that. Mm -hmm. And to throw out love in the name of throwing out war and all these things is really damaging to what humans are meant to be. And that's 
a major point within the movie mm-hmm. and the book as well. And ultimately, they have to decide whether the advantages of this safe community outweigh the drawbacks or not. Right. And Jonas's point is the community is safe in name, but really, it's still killing people. And right. so the drawbacks they're saying they've eliminated, they haven't really eliminated. They've only eliminated the good. So we'll leave you to watch the movie or read the book to find out the conclusion. Anything else on that? I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Well, the other thing we want to discuss on this podcast is basically has there's an article on Exponential called Five Things the Millennials Wish the Church Would Be. I'll put this here in the middle so we can all... I know. I thought it was... I didn't know what millennial meant until I read right. it. Right. Like, oh, like, what we oh, are? I'm a millennial. <laughs> we are millennials, yes. Yeah. It, it varies, but essentially 14 to 30 people who are that age about are considered millennials. Sometimes mm-hmm. I've heard it as late as 18 to 30. Mm-hmm. But in around that age. So, yes, we are all millennials. So... One of the issues that's come up within the church, especially the Western church, is the fact that the millennials are leaving the church in record numbers. Many would say as much as 85% of millennials will leave the Mm -hmm. church never to come back. Which in in itself is interesting, I think, because in our church, I don't know if we're going to ever discuss this on another podcast, but in our church, we're not seeing anywhere near 80% leaving. It's like probably 80% stay in our actual church. Yeah. And but that's something I think that comes with being in the Northwest where it's kind of a pagan community and so there's not those pe- people there's who not, are in the church aren't they're not lukewarm believers right. to start out with. There's no social so, pressure to go to church in no, the first it's, place. If anything and, it's against it. Unless exactly. you're a kid. But yeah, it's not this the same I think as it is maybe in the South or the Bible. Yeah, potentially. And so, I think we have seen some of that in just families that have left because of their kids where i mean we're growing up the group that's in the church right now are more among the kids are many of them are newer to the church Mm -hmm. whereas some of them did leave not necessarily leave the church as a whole but leave to other churches they leave to other churches which is not the same as just leaving leaving very true so yeah part of the question becomes is our church is more traditional right we use hymns we have a choir we have a pastor well, we that preaches. We use hymns and we use worship songs we and do. other things. We have about 50-50 yeah. mix. Half between hymns and contemporary Christian music. Yeah. But we have seen some families leave from our church to more contemporary, if you contemporary, will, churches. Yes, churches. Um, and so part of the question here is what, from just a pure trying to bring people into the church, mm-hmm. specifically millennials, how do you do that as a church? How do you become attractive without changing your message because obviously right. that's the foundation is we're not going to just start preaching mm-hmm. what the world and now, wants to If they want to go to a Mormon church, they need to find a Mormon church. Right, exactly. So this article brings up five points to discuss as far as how to make your church more appealing to millennials. The first point they bring up is, is your church real or relevant? And their point, which I think is a very valid one and one that's often underestimated in the church, is, is your church real Irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Can't be both. And it can be both. But a lot of people lose their authenticity in striving to be too They're relevant. Bending over backwards to be relevant to the culture. Right. And, and their point right. is it's actually authenticity, not how relevant you are, mm-hmm. that most millennials are looking for, which I think is true. Yeah. 
certainly we can say in our church what we value is not how relevant it is. Have we ever gone to a relevant church? Um, um, we went to the homeschool conference. Yeah, the home, church at the homeschool conference the is more where relevant. You, kinda, you can get that. Okay. Yes. yes. I prefer real then. Yes. yes. <laughs> exactly. So with a real church, for example, you can see that the people preaching really believe what they're preaching and they're not just preaching something to be cool or to be popular mm -hmm. and i think that's something we see for example at our church well yeah because look how cool and popular preaching was back in the first century when it was invented very yeah so it's not meant to be cool and popular right one of the sources they quote says millennials have a dim view of the church they are highly skeptical of religion yet they are still thirsty for transcendence but when we portray God as a cosmic buddy, we lose them. They have enough friends. When we tell them that God will give them a better marriage and family, it's white noise. They're delaying marriage and kids are foregoing them altogether. When we tell them they're special, we're merely echoing what their educators, coaches, and parents have told them their whole lives. But when we present a ravishing vision of a loving, holy God, it might just get their attention and capture their hearts as well. And I think, I think that's that, a key that point. point was one that I totally agree with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, I mean, a lot of this goes back to like what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy is, sure, there's going to be people in your church that have itching ears for other entertainments mm -hmm. or other things. But what you need to do, church leader, pastor, is you need to preach the word, preach mm -hmm. the word in season and out of season, rebuke, exhort, and all of those things. And I think names. one of the things that maybe with this article I, I noticed was you should be trying to be real no matter if it's attracting millennials or not. Exactly. It doesn't, it's, the purpose of being real should not be to attract millennials, it's to be... Because it's not real if that's why you're not, doing it. Yeah, that's not the, the point. Right. You're supposed to be preaching the word in season and out of season, whether that's what people are looking for or not. Their second point is, is the church clear on its visual messaging? And I think this is a point that's more geared towards a mega church situation. Yes. Our church has that, around yeah. 150 to 200 people, give, give or take. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this is as necessary for a small church to worry right. about. And their third point has, is sort of similar it has to do with basically clarifying what different space is meant for. And, and one of this is, I think part of where they're going here is that with the drive towards relevance in the last few years among the church is the idea that we need to make our churches look more like community centers and less like churches. Mm -hmm. or and hospitals. Or hospitals, right. Or airport terminals, I think is what they also said. Right. Not terminals, but the yeah. airport. Mm -hmm. Terminals thingies would be right. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things they found in the survey was that, and this article was done in association with Barna Group. So part mm -hmm. of the background to the article was they surveyed a number of millennials. One of the things they found in that survey was that millennials, one of the things they don't like is to enter a room in a church and not know what it's there for. What, what's their purpose in this right. room? Or even just not know what you're supposed to do next in the service. Right. I mean, that, that's kind of disconcerting when it's like, um, so are we supposed to stand up for this? Or are we supposed, are we supposed to sing with them? Or what? It's, it's, very, it's nice to have, you know, a in bulletin. the bulletin... 
Yes, the bulletin to have a like order of what we're doing next and know where the hymnals are and things like that. Yes. Right. Yeah, and that's one of the things they say. accidentally pull out a Bible when you're trying to get a hymnal. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, we could color code our books more precisely. Not quite so much like navy blue and black (laughs) in the two of them. We used to have white Bibles, but anyways. And so one of the things they're saying is community is one of the key things they want to find in a church, Mm -hmm. which I think is something a small church does well in many ways better than a mega church because you're by the very nature of the situation you're forced to community be mm-hmm. be working with everyone and mm-hmm. and interacting with everyone you can't just find your little group of 20 somethings and their next point is is our church setting a place of action or rest and this point i sort of see where they're coming from i don't necessarily 100% agree with them their their point is more coming from the millennials' perspective as far as saying, when we come to church, we want a place to just rest and be able to think about God and worship God. And, and that's a good point. Mm-hmm. But the church should also be, in a sense, a training camp for people who are going to go out and change the world. If you think about what mm-hmm. Christ was doing, which is a picture of the early church, with his disciples, he wasn't just saying, let's go to this lonely mountain and let's pray and let's worship God. He did do that at times. But mm-hmm. at other times, he also was saying, let's heal the sick and I'm going to send you out and I'm going to do these things that are active. Mm-hmm. And so finding the balance between those two, mm-hmm. I think, is important. Because there's, of course, with the service, you're supposed to, for the sermon, you're supposed to be learning so that you can then be better equipped. The worship time, yes. You're certainly supposed to be worshiping God and using that time to be able to worship God. Though, like with me playing the piano, I don't really have that. I I don't really do that very well while I'm actually up there playing. And that's one of the things that's and different. So it's it's different being being on the being part of the ministry team, being part of the ministry. Very true thing in choir. I mean, I'm a good enough alto that it doesn't. It's not like it takes 100% of my attention the whole time and that I can't worship God while I'm singing. But you are trying to follow and hit the right notes and stuff like that. So, Well, and that's one of the ways having a small 100 to two-person church is different than a mega church is because our goal is more to get everyone onto the ministry team in exactly. some way or another, whether, they're, whether it's exactly. during the week you know, I mean, even the people that on Sunday are just coming and listening and worshiping during the week, they're, you know, hosting a quilt guild or getting together with newer ladies in the church or right. for running lunch, a Bible study, running a whatever. Bible study. Yeah. Everybody becomes a small group leader in some way or other yeah. in a small church. Not Except everybody. Except the new people. There's the new people, and then there's people who just, for whatever reason, don't get involved. Yeah. As much, you know, they just come Sunday morning, and they don't really get involved in anything, and they leave right after church, and those people are kind of hard to get to know and reach. But the goal in your church is to make disciples, and Mm -hmm. disciples join the ministry team. Not Mm -hmm. officially, but they're out there discipling. Yeah, and even the people who have their three little kids or 
whatever who they have to stay in the pew and take care of them um even i know some of them are really good at hosting people at their house for dinner or whatever so yeah. they do they have their unofficial they have their ministry that they're doing it's it's not an official one it's not one that you can sign up for in the foyer but right yeah it's and that's... important and they are doing it and serving the church that way Right, and that's actually one of the points behind the, this podcast is thinking through how can pastor's kids or any other young people in the church, how can we think about becoming church leaders, whether you're mm-hmm. the pastor or a deaconess or whether you're just showing hospitality to other people in the church. Mm-hmm. How can you become someone who's a disciple maker and a, an effective servant of Christ in the local church? Mm-hmm. One of the quotes on that point, which I thought was good, was most of our modern churches have excellent areas set aside for corporate worship, group learning, and community building, but they leave something to be desired when it comes to personal reflection and prayer. And I think that is... Probably they're thinking that's what you do in your personal Bible time. Yeah, but, but one of the things I think they're probably right on, and I can't, I can't say for sure where they're coming from on this, but I think... Too many people in our culture, unfortunately, don't know how to pray. And right. so if you don't yes, teach them true. in the church, then they're going to struggle it's with doing true. it on their own, partially because we're such a busy culture, especially here, like on the mm-hmm. Pacific West Coast or the East Coast, where people are in these very busy mm-hmm. urban centers, they're going to have a hard time finding time to pray even. Mm-hmm. And so the church, if you have prayer meeting or set aside time on Sunday morning to pray, that helps people to think through praying in their private lives. Exactly, yeah. And, well, we've been going to prayer meeting ever since we were born, I guess, probably. But we, we've we learned how to pray from listening to the incredible prayers of the, of the older people who've been saints for years. So more people should come to prayer meetings. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it's praying is very important, and I think it's probably the the one thing that maybe at least I have the most trouble with setting time aside for. Or I can do my, you know, read my Bible through the year easy, memorize verses, you know, sing worship songs. That's all of those come very naturally for me. But but praying for long periods of time is not very easy. Yeah, and I'm sure that comes with. And I think it's especially because you and I are more structured. We Mm -hmm. we work easier in a structured environment. When you know what you're supposed to be doing next. And And prayer is not really structured. No. Even if you have a list (laughs) of people to pray for. It's the Acts prayer. (laughs) No. Yeah. People have different ways of the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. But then it kind of feels like you're turning a crank and out comes a prayer that may or may not really be like relevant for you or whatever right Mm -hmm. i don't know prayer is is its own weird thing it is hard one of the things i found useful just recently is i've been reading through the psalms several Mm -hmm. times and Mm -hmm. i think that's helpful it's not quite the same as praying on your own but it does put you in the spirit of prayer so to speak yeah actually i've been doing something somewhat similar with with proverbs i'll reading the Bible and praying as you're just kind of spontaneously as you're reading the Bible is like with Proverbs, there'll be 
all this good advice and seek for the fear of the Lord and all that stuff. And so I'll find myself praying, okay, God, please give me wisdom or that stuff, sorts of stuff as I'm reading along and I'm like, oh, yes, that discernment, that would be very nice. And so that's, yeah, praying while you're reading the Bible I is, for me, an easy way of praying. So what are they talking about beyond just like prayer meeting, having space for personal devotions or something at church? I'm not sure Yeah, I understand what they mean by that. Well, um... It seemed, as I was reading through, that it kind of had have, you know, kind of have places where people could go pray. Yeah. If they feel so inclined. Yeah, and, and like here they say, just having places for non-activity. Mm-hmm. Because, like was mentioned earlier, our culture is so obsessed with constant busyness and constant entertainment. Mm-hmm. Having some places where you could just go and meditate without TV going or music or some of that stuff to help us be able to find space to pray, I think is a good point, right, especially yeah. in more urban centers. I don't know. We're more suburban almost country so we have a little bit less of the feeling of constant go 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 yeah. activity and we have when the the two special musics we have are for i guess the people who aren't singing in the choir listening to the choir sing then they could have time to pray because they're not doing anything they're not going yeah. on mm-hmm. and not that this is enough but i found even just the communion time is mm-hmm. a good time if oh, yeah, never else yeah. if no other time to just take time and pray and confess and, I mean, obviously, you would want much, much more time praying than just that. Right. But that does force you to stop and think and pray. And yeah. so at the very least, that's one reason why I think Christians should be taking communion yeah. as often as it's offered in their church. Their fourth point is, is our church being Jesus? And what they're discussing there is... Is our church just Actually, focused on programs? Technically, we're supposed to be the bride of right. Jesus. Yeah, they're. I think they're they're using that phrase in a world centered. Is are we doing the what would Jesus do type mm-hmm. idea? Are we so being like, like Jesus first to the world? Rest in your church and then be Jesus and do everything. <laughs> no, I don't think that's it. Yeah, it's not so much <laughs> the activities of Jesus. I'm not sure. But, but more like Maybe as far as churches should, I think it's more as far as the discipleship of Jesus, the ability mm-hmm. to, like one of their quotes, what better place for young Christian millennials to feel they can truly make a difference with their gifts and talents than at their churches? What better place for young millennial Christians to feel they can truly make a difference with their gifts and talents than at their church? And I think another point made up earlier here is helpful as far as the they make the point that millennials are trying to figure out what their purpose is in life. Mm-hmm. Why am I here? Who am I? What does it matter? What I do? And what can I do? Exactly. And what the church has to do is add that meaning. The rest of life mostly says, do this, do that, do this, do that. The church needs to be able to come and say, here's why you need to do this. Here's why you need to be sexually pure. Here's why you need to pray and why going to church matters. One of the things they found that they explain here is that actually being countercultural is often more appealing to millennials than being exactly relevant to the culture because a lot of millennials see that the culture is flawed mm-hmm. and has a lot of problems. Of and so the church can provide a cure 
and almost an antidote to that problematic part of the culture. One of the pastors called Kinnaman uh, says, millennials don't want to sit on the sidelines and observe. They want to be part of the church. If they're going to be part of a church, it must have value and meaning. In generations like the boomers, people attend church out of some moral obligations to do so. Millennials won't have any of that. If it doesn't provide meaning and value to them, they won't participate. They'll go and find something that does have meaning and value. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a key point as far as we need to help establish why the church is meaningful. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that's behind what they say their title for this point is the church needs to show Jesus. Mm-hmm. What they're saying is Jesus is the only meaning and value in the church. Without Jesus, right. the church is just another social program that's take it or leave it. Right. But if the church comes at this issue of keeping the millennial generation with the perspective of here's Jesus. Jesus is the most meaningful thing that's ever happened mm-hmm. in this world. Then millennials will want to j- join the boat and be part of it. Then the last one that I think is perhaps the best and something that I've certainly seen in my life is, is our church helping millennials find mentors? Well, and I think it's because you can't do any of the others without Without, that last one. You can't help them become more like Jesus and without giving them mentors who are showing them how to live Mm -hmm. like Jesus. Who are more than three years older than them. Yes. Right. That's actually, it talks about this. Oh, it does. Yeah. yeah. I don't think yeah. I actually got to the end of the article. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought it, I did, and then I didn't. Yeah, and it yeah, actually says statistically. Stay in church beyond their teen years are twice as likely to have had a mentor, basically, and twice as likely that that mentor was someone other than a pastor or a youth minister. Yes. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah, yeah. So, really, that is central to keeping them in the church not just getting bringing them in so much but those that are already in the church if you can put them with a mentor because a lot of millennials and i think you get this especially from the public schools and things like this is they're being bombarded from the culture from media from entertainment from their teachers from their peers there's all of these different voices coming to them and saying the church is silly Christianity is fables, God doesn't matter, you can live just fine without any of that stuff. And what mentors do is they're able to answer those questions. Mm -hmm. And I think being willing to answer those questions, those tough questions about who is God, why is there good and evil, things like that, is really important to keep millennials in the church. Yeah, well, and also the problem with that last step of having a mentor is, I know some things Dad mentioned before, is you can't mentor someone that doesn't want to be mentored. Exactly. So it has to be the young people wanting mentors. You know, a healthy church is going to have older people that are qualified to mentor. Absolutely. But if the young people don't want it, then you have to make them want it first. That's the tricky and that it works a oh, mentorship relationship works a lot better if it's are. the young person initiating it you yeah. know because often they're more busy they're the ones that are having to cancel because of other things going on so mm-hmm. yeah and that's really where the local church and we won't have time to discuss this this podcast but that's really where the local church has to come in and figure out how to 
make those two parts work together. Mm-hmm. How to make the young people interested in being mentored. the young people yeah. that they need a mentor in the first place. And then the older people usually, they yeah, be more than too happy much on to, that side. to mentor a younger person. In fact, most of them be thrilled to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just that there's not yeah. enough young people who want to to go around. Right. And At for, least at our church. And because we're kind of on the younger end of the spectrum of millennials. That is what it is, isn't it? Millennials? Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyways. Millennials. I didn't know we were millennials until I read this I know. article. <laughs> but, I mean, it's kind of... It's kind of like, obviously, so we can't be mentoring young people that are millennials necessarily, although we can certainly start doing that with kids that are, you know, 12, 13, 14. Right. Mm -hmm. But we can encourage more by example than anything else, you know, as far as if they see us talking to the older people at church, you know, if they, when they're talking to us, they hear us, you know, referencing Things we heard in the sermon, things we heard in mm-hmm. Sunday school from right. other older people us. in the church, then that's it's more likely instead of it being like, well, nobody else does this, so it's kind of weird and awkward. Right. Instead, it's more of a, you know, well, I know other people that are it's doing this, so them. it's more, yeah. <laughs> more normal. And again, they know more what to expect, like he was talking about earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... The other thing to touch on before we close is parents don't forget to mentor your kids. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things I see in like our church, almost all of the millennials in our church have very strong godly parents. Mm-hmm. And if the parents just mentor their kids, that's one Huge part. Thing, but it is very and, helpful to have another person. And if too. parents, mm-hmm. and our parents yep. have done this with us, is parents can encourage their kids to go seek other mentors. From a young age. From a young age, exactly. You know, and if I you think wait that's till they're really teenagers, helpful. then it may not. Right. They may be like, ah, uh, this may, I don't know, that would be kind of weird or whatever. But I've had mentors of one kind or another since I was like eight or something, so. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and when you get that experience, you get to see it's that to older people that you... are cool and they have a good point of view. It's not just them being kind of old and senile they really they have experience (laughs) with life and they understand things that as young people with a limited perspective we can't understand lots of times they're way more interesting to talk to yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well it's interesting especially i mean they've just seen more they're they've had more life (laughs) yeah yeah you meet older people who have been involved in wars or done all kinds of things it's really yeah interesting stories well we are out of time so we'd better close up wrap up yeah yeah we're still kind of figuring out how to do this and all of our intro and closing say, stuff remember kids <laughs> god made you special, special and he loves you very much, much. goodbye goodbye yes yeah. from our one of our favorite christian leaders phil visher of veggie tales now of what's in the Bible. I think you better just stop it. We're not mentioning Phil Vischer on our first podcast we ever do.